Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Um, let's just read from Amos chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan and Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. The sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness. The time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. You will each go straight out through breaches in the wall and will be cast out towards Harmon, declares the Lord. Go to Bethel and sin, go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. Burn leavened bread as a thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do, declares the sovereign Lord. I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain on one town but withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none, and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water, but you did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Many times I struck your your gardens and vineyards, destroying them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I sent plagues among you as I did to Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword, along with your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. He who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, and who reveals his thoughts for mankind, who turns dawn to darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord God Almighty is his name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kieran. Hey, guys. Good to see everyone. Hey, online church. Good to see you as well. It is great to be here. Get this out of the way. I get my hand sanitizer as usual. This is wonderful. Guys, I, am, I, I don't know, how many of you drive? How many of you have driven before? Wonderful, we've got a good few hands. O- online guys, hands up if you drive. Okay, I can, see a few, I can see a few people. I will assume you guys who don't have your cameras on that you've got your hands up as well. That's great. I ask that because there's a statistic, and I don't know if it's true, and I know Justin is here and he's big into statistics, so I'm not even going to say the percentage, but there's a statistic that suggests that whenever you're five miles from home in the car, you're more prone to crash than anywhere else. And you, you'll think that you're probably going to crash on a road that you don't know. But more often than not, the closer to home you are, the greater the risk of crashing. Because you, you, you know the road. And, and I, I know the town I grew up in was seven miles away from like a connecting artery. And so whenever I needed to go to any, anywhere, basically, I had to do this seven-mile drive. I know the bumps in the road, I know every corner, I know the turning in point, the apex of each corner, I know how sharp they are, I know the exact speeds that you can take them at, up the speed limit of course. I know the road like the back of my hand, but yet I crashed on it a number of years ago. 
And one of the temptations is as soon as I get onto this road, I know exactly what's coming, I know what it is. Doesn't matter if it's snow, doesn't matter if it's warm weather, doesn't matter if it's wet, I know how the car will respond on this particular road because I know the tarmac, I know it all. But that's whenever the, the, the problem comes because I know it so well, I'm so conscious that I could be asleep at the wheel. I could be headed for disaster without even thinking about it because I'm, I'm so aware of what's going on or at least I think I'm so aware of what's going on. I'm perhaps maybe blinded to the fact that a car accident could be around the corner. Something could be there, somebody could be there, something could have changed. But I'm so aware that I, I know everything that I put myself in a vulnerable position. And so really, you know, I, I could be asleep at the wheel. And I say this because I'm convinced that in Amos chapter four, Israel were asleep at the wheel and Amos has a serious, serious wake-up call for them. We're going to be looking at religion without repentance today. Um, and the context is that Amos was a shepherd and he was a gardener in the southern kingdom of Judah. He was called by God to deliver an absolutely devastating message to the northern kingdom, Israel. So at this point in history, you've got the southern kingdom of Judah made up of two tribes, and then you've the northern kingdom of Israel made up of ten tribes. And so in the first two chapters of Amos, there's this repetition of a formula where it says for three transgressions and for four, and God through Amos begins to pronounce a judgment on all these nations, all the surrounding nations. And, and as we begin to understand the geography, as Steve showed us two weeks ago, that this judgment on all these surrounding nations was actually a way to hone in on the primary target, which is Israel. And so the most devastating judgment then comes upon Israel. And so their, their chosen and their privileged position as God's people makes their rejection of God and his covenant all the more devastating. And so here we are in the 8th century BC, so 2,800 years ago, the northern kingdom of Israel were, were enjoying a, a political prosperity. Uh, they were enjoying their wealth. They had comfort and they had luxury. And with all of this, they, they experienced this false sense of security. And so it's, it's Ireland's Celtic tiger. It's the boom. Nothing can go wrong. It is great. But yet prosperity invited corruption and invited destruction. Israel's complacency invited injustice. And so Amos's judgment here is to a greedy people, a people who were drunk on financial success. But yet they'd lost the concept of caring for one another, lost the concept of caring for the poor and the needy. And so it begs the question, is Amos 4 for a different society? Is Amos 4 for a different society? And so we're, we're going to explore today our desire for security, the myth of security, and then finally an invitation to a true security. So church, picture this with me for a moment. You might want to close your eyes. Let's get visual here. Amos the farmer, he travels up to Samaria, up to the capital of Israel. So I don't know if he's got his work boots on or how he's dressed, but he's traveled up and he's got a word from the Lord for the people. And he comes across these beautifully laid out tables uh, linen garments, exquisite cuisine, and well-kept ladies who want for absolutely nothing. And look with me at verse 1 on the screen. He says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and the needy, and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. Wow, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. Bashan was an area known for producing fat and healthy livestock. If you're a farmer, then, then the, the, the fields and the mountains and the area of Bashan is, is where you want to be because that's where the stock is the best. 
And they say unto these indulgent women, you fat cows, you're enjoying the luxury of an extravagant lifestyle. But yet, look at the next line. And he says, you woman who oppress the poor and crush the needy. And you say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. So church, before any of you take offense with me, look at what Amos is getting at. The root of the diagnosis is not being overweight and it's not being affluent. But it's rather the affluence and the lifestyles were used for the sole purpose of self-indulgent and self-preserving pleasure. So the issue isn't with being rich. The issue is actually with how they got there. A lifestyle at the expense of others. And so he he wasn't subscribing them to to a class for Weight Watchers. He wasn't suggesting that they, they, they go to A, B, and C. But what he was saying was their sins were fattening themselves up for the slaughter. And so again, the issue is not with woman, but it's rather this picture of, of a pampered, selfish woman was a broader indictment of Israel as a whole. The husband was to be the lord of the family, but, and God was to be the lord of the people, but it's clear to see who really wears the trousers, who's really in control. And so as Amos looks beneath the dresses, beneath the jewelry, beneath the makeup, beneath the pump, he sees an absolute sham, because under the surface is something absolutely rotten. And he says, the sovereign Lord is sworn by what? By his holiness. The time will surely come when you'll be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. And so that was an allusion to the Assyrians coming in. You'll go straight out through breaches in the wall, not even through the gate, out through the side of the wall. The city and all its security is going to be lying in ruins. And he's saying your, your, your desire for security lies in your wealth. And because of that, destruction's coming. Your indifference to the needy and to the poor flies in the face of God's holiness. Therefore, your demise is in sight. And so church, as we drill down even deeper into this, we see that Israel's prosperity is actually tied up in their desire for security. Their treasures reveals where their security lies. Their prosperity actually props up their, their, their sense of self-worth. And this needs maintained. The self-worth needs maintained at all costs even to the poor and the needy. But yet their desire for security isn't only tied up in wealth, but it's also in religion. And Amos continues in verse four, go to Bethel and sin, go to Gilgal and sin even more, bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. In another translation it says tithes every three days, in the sense that they're meant to bring it every three years to this particular point. And God is saying, you know what, even if you brought them every single day, it would not make a blind bit of difference. Bethel was the place, the very place where God had renewed his covenant with Jacob. So here Jacob had encountered God in a dream and he named this place Bethel, meaning house of God. And Gilgal was the very place where Israel first camped. Whenever Joshua brought them, brought them into the land of Canaan, brought them into the promised land, when Joshua brought them in, this is where they camped for the very first time. It's the place where they celebrated the very first Passover. They're significant places. But yet God is saying sarcastically, go to Bethel and sin, go to Gilgal and sin even more. They became places of idolatry. Places where shrine prostitutes were worshipped alongside God. Places where religious ceremonies took place. Places where rituals were observed, but yet hard obedience was thrown by the wayside. Places where lip service was paid, but it was nothing more. So Israel's security, it sure it lay in their wealth, but it also lay in their religion. But yet it lacked any form of repentance. They were going through the motions. They were bringing sacrifices. They were giving tithes. 
They were providing the correct offerings. They are doing all the required things. And, and it says they even loved to boast in this. They boasted in, in, in behaving. They were doing all the right things. They were behaving. But yet God looks at it as utter sin. He says it's repulsive to him. It's simply false religion. Look with me at what um, God says through Isaiah the prophet. In Isaiah chapter 1, this is incredible. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11, it says, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the, in the blood of bulls and the lambs and the goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? Who's trampling my courts? Wow. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts, your appointed festivals. I hate with all my being. Wow. God is saying, I hate these things. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. This is incredible. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. While well, the issue is that Israel were so unfaithful to God in their hearts and the outworking of that unfaithfulness has worked its way into the how they treat others, particularly the vulnerable and the needy in society. The sacrifices and the offerings, the, the things, were to be external symbols of a faithful and devoted heart. But yet now they'd actually become an empty ritual. They'd become empty rituals. The externals uh, were to place an importance on an outward show of religion. I'm doing it all. I'm doing all the right things. But they should far rather have been towards the God they should have been worshipping. It should have been the outworking of a worship of Jesus. Israel's security was wrapped up in their wealth, it was wrapped up in their religion. Their dependence was upon themselves and Amos is calling it an absolute sham. What Amos is saying is you're engaged in all this religious activity but it's hypocritical because you've got wealth as your idol and there's sin in your life. You see, God doesn't want sacrifices. God wants obedient hearts. That's what he longs for. He desires mercy and not sacrifice. Sacrifice without mercy is just plain hypocrisy. And this is what Amos is speaking out against. And church, here's the danger. And this is the danger of me driving. And this is the danger for me, a pastor in this church, is that when we feel secured and assured of our wealth and our position, it is in fact when we are most vulnerable to overlooking the dangers of the world we live in. When we're secured and we're assured of our wealth and position, that's when we're most vulnerable. Our desire for security may be culturally different to that of Israel 2,800 years ago. But on a heart level, nothing has changed. Maybe this sounds familiar. In Ireland, people go to church for Christmas and Easter. It's a thing to do. We, we light candles for the sick. We want weddings and funerals to be in churches. And even atheists want this. And we stick in there with a particular church or denomination or a place to obtain a plot for the grave. There's maybe not so much of that in the city, but it's rife in the countryside. You're part of this, so you get your plot for the grave. You can't leave, otherwise you might lose your, your family plot. 
Perhaps we volunteer a couple of times a year at a local food bank or a homeless shelter. We do our good deed for the week. We give some money to a local charity. But what, make, what, what we do makes us feel good because our security is tied up in a man-made, self-centered religion. But yet God is saying, you're absolutely deluded. I'm more concerned for your heart than your things. Stop placing your security in wealth and religion. These things won't rescue you. It's all a myth. And that's it. The myth of security is that we try to place it in anything but God. Church Israel's religion lacked repentance. And her idolatry exposes where they place their security. And the problem with this is that it's so short-lived. It's temporary, and ultimately it's not secure at all. As Amos continues, and he says in a prophetic voice, it was indicating actually what was to come. If you look at verse 6, there's empty stomachs in every city, a lack of bread in every town, yet you've not returned to me. Uh, verse 7, it chats about a drought withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. But I sent rain in one town, but withheld it from another. Sent rain in one field, had rain, in, but another one had, had no rain that dried up. People staggered from town to town for, for water, but didn't get enough to drink, but yet you've not returned to me. Many times I struck your gardens and your vineyards, destroying them with blight and mildew. Did you see it? Verse 6, famine, 7, drought, 8, blight and plagues. Then even in verse 10. But no matter how many times God warned his people through blight, famine, drought, they still ignored him. The very things their security depended upon would soon come to ruin. You know, it's, it's one thing, church, to fall into sin and to experience God's correction. But yet it's another thing entirely when you experience God's correcting and still don't turn to him. And so you see there's this refrain in verses 6, 8, 9, 10, 11, and yet you did not return to me. And guys, don't hear me wrong. This isn't a brash, harsh, proud, or even indifferent uh, tone. This is the words from a loving father who will do just about absolutely anything to see his people turn to him in repentance to see his people come under his rule and his reign again, to see his people place their security and their devotion on him once again. This is from an aching father. This is from a, a father that is absolutely devastated because his people have turned away from him. Their words from a hurting father as his children have strayed, as they've fallen into idolatry, as they've become so much more concerned about themselves than about their neighbor. And you know, even though all these, well, throughout these calamities, Israel were so deaf to discipline. There's a progression from verse 6 to 11. Things are getting worse. They're going from bad to worse, but yet Israel still doesn't turn back to the Lord. Their securities couldn't prevent these things from happening. They're hopelessly inferior when God's corrective discipline comes. He's not sending calamity to punish them. He's sending it to get their attention to turn them back to him, and they should have known better. It says about Egypt, they knew what God had done when they were held captive in Egypt. They knew how God had rescued them from the hands of the Egyptians. They knew what God had done at Sodom and Gomorrah. They told the stories from generation to generation. They knew this. But yet here, Israel have just become like them. They've become like the Egyptians. They've become like the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. The very people I've rescued you from, you've now become like. Therefore, judgment is coming. They should have known better. But God's purpose in judgment 
And you need to hear this. God's purpose in judgment is to turn people toward himself. So what's really interesting is that the picture of God's judgment uh, at, the, at, at, the, at the hands of the, the Egyptians during the plagues was actually evangelistic because we're told all the way back in, uh, in, uh, in, in chapter 12 is that there's a mixed multitude in Exodus that goes up with the Israelites whenever God is bringing them out. So it's not just the Israelites, but there's actually Egyptians. There's people from other countries and other nations coming out with the Israelites. Because they've saw the reality of God and his judgment and they've turned towards God. And I think we always have to keep that in view. That God's message of judgment isn't just to say, here it comes, there is now no hope for you. Absolutely not. But it's primarily to turn people back to himself. And so in God's judgment, there's an evangelistic emphasis on it. He wants people to turn back to himself. And here's a parting shot. Amos says, uh, God is now finished with the natural calamities and with the local catastrophes. And, and he says, Israel... He's not going to do that any longer, but here's what he is going to do. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. It says, this, therefore, this is what I'm going to do to you, Israel. And because I'll do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet your God. And this is where the invitation to true security really lies. God is going to come to Israel. They'd encountered God's disciplines, and now they're going to encounter him. He's saying to them, prepare to meet your God. And you might be thinking, ah, there's where the famous crazy cardboard slogan comes from. And it's often used in the context of the end is coming. You might see it in films that, that the, the end is coming, prepare to meet your God. Back where I'm from, you used to see that up in the telephone posts hammered in on, on a piece of wood. Prepare to meet your God. And rightly so, but there's a deep grace here that I don't want us to miss. There's a deep grace God is emphasizing who it is that's coming. Look with me at verse 12 and 13. God is emphasizing who is coming. He's a God of all creation. He forms the mountains, he creates the wind. Who is absolutely sovereign over humanity. He, he declares to man what his thoughts are. He's a God with all power over nature. And he makes the morning darkness. He's a God who rules above all. He treads the high places of the earth. Israel can either meet the Lord in judgment or they can meet him in mercy. God's heart all along has been for his people to come to him in repentance. Israel's unfaithfulness and, and blindness to God's voice throughout the, throughout the prophets led, led them to fall back into slavery. And you know, after this, the Assyrians come in and the Assyrians plunder Samaria. Israel gets captured Israel is back in slavery under the hands of the Assyrians. But even so, God still comes to them in their unfaithfulness, in their sin, in their complete lack of regard for him. How? Through the better Amos, through Jesus. And this is a deeper grace. This is what we can miss. Is that the judgment God's people deserved was laid upon his son. The futility of mankind to follow after God is shown in Israel's uh, deceit, shown in Israel's disregard, shown in Israel's hard-heartedness. But yet God makes a way possible. He sends a son to be the ultimate sacrifice, to satisfy God's wrath, to take the freedom that we, that we in Israel owed upon himself, that we might experience freedom. You know, the true security we all long for can only be found in Jesus. 
Everything else is temporary. Everything else will rise and they will fall. You'll see nations, you'll see rulers, you'll see, see regimes rising and they will fall. And so I wonder, where are you tempted to place your security? Or where are you tempted to find your security? What provides security for you that you believe that Jesus can't? What provides security for you that you believe that Jesus can't? What would your bank account say? What did your search history show? What did your calendar say to this? What, what's the thing that you, that you regularly find yourself daydreaming about over and over again? Where do you run to for this security? You know, I asked the question at the start, is Amos 4 for a different society? And I don't think it is. I don't think it is. As I, as I read Amos 4, as I look at this, and as I look at the state that Israel are in, I can't help but hold up a mirror and say, wow, Mafia, you're maybe not all that far off this at times. Maybe, Mafia, the danger for you is that, sure, you work for a church, but ultimately, you could be going through the motions. And so, church, unless, unless we grasp this and take, take, take this as a mirror and we hold it up to ourselves, the danger for us is that we could think we are secure, we are assured. Why? Well, we, we go to church, we serve, we do all the things, we're going through the motions. But it can be so easy for our heart to be not in it. So like Israel, we're tempted to place our security in anything but God. Our human nature is, is inclined towards self-control, self-preservation, self-justification. So like Israel, we're tempted to cozy up to wealth, tempted to cozy up to religion to make us feel better. And so for some of us, we're asleep at the wheel and we're headed for disaster. And so let this be a wake-up call to us. We can either meet God in his judgment or we can meet him in his mercy through repentance. If we meet him in his judgment, then what we're doing is we're rejecting Jesus. We're placing our securities in something else. If we're going to meet him in, in his mercy, we're going to be accepting Jesus. We're going to be coming in repentance. Church, the good news is that while Israel were a long, long way off, and while we were so far from God, he ultimately came to us. Amos is prophesying and saying, prepare to meet your God. God was done with sending calamities, sending different signs, sending different things to waken up his people, and he comes himself in the person of Jesus. The good news is that in Jesus, you and I have freedom from the, the hold and the, uh, the, the longings for securities in this world. If our freedom is found in Jesus, it means we don't need to chase after the idols of money, sex, and power. Why? Because we're satisfied in Jesus. The good news is that our performance counts for absolutely nothing. Do you want to hear that? Our performance counts for nothing. Why? Because we're saved and we're sustained by grace. We can freely love others who are not like us. Without the fear of insecurity, without feeling threatened, we, we, we can give with, without the fear that we'll never, we'll, we'll never have enough. We can look after and we can love the poor and the needy at the expense of ourselves. So what if we have to pay a bit more tax? So what if our lifestyles are a, a little bit um, blunted or a little bit dulled by it? So what if we, 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 we can't uh, find that Sundays is a safe place uh, where our, our bags are here? I've got my bag down the back of the church 
man, I would love this to be a place where my bag is not safe down the back of the church because there's people who would be so tempted to, to rob it and steal it. But ultimately, I would love us to be a, a church where we get in absolutely anybody and everybody, even to our own personal discomforts. And so maybe you've been going through the motions recently. I want to invite Craig back up again. Um, as he begins to play, we're, we're, we're going to reflect, and there's going to be an opportunity for repentance. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're not, there's an opportunity to come in repentance. God is so much more concerned for your heart than your things. Maybe you've been going through the motions recently. Perhaps you're finding a source of comfort in something else other than God. Maybe your relationship with him has gone a little stale. Perhaps you're tempted to settle for doing things for God rather than spending time with God. Perhaps you're tempted to settle for doing things for God than spending time with God. As Craig plays in the background, we're going to take a moment. I'm going to pray. And uh, I'd encourage you that during this last song, allow this to be a time in which we, we, we come before our Father in repentance. Because he offers us a freedom that the securities of the world cannot. The securities of the world are going to fade away. They are but a myth. But we have a deeper freedom that's found in the Father and we come to him in repentance. Our wealth and religion cannot, cannot meet what Jesus can provide. God, I confess that I am tempted to settle for doing things for you rather than spending time with you. God, I confess that uh, I'm tempted to settle for conventional religion rather than rather than a, a relationship with you. God, I confess that that I can turn my eyes to doing things rather than sitting in your presence. God, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would come and you would meet us where we're at this afternoon. That you desire mercy and not sacrifice. That you're more interested in our hearts than our things. And so Father, maybe, maybe there's some of us here who are like the cows of Bashan, who have become affluent, who have become wealthy perhaps, and perhaps not, not even in, in a right manner, perhaps it's at the expense of others. God, I pray you would come and you'd bring conviction, you'd bring transformation. Perhaps there's some of us here who have, who have settled into the, the slipstream of religion, where it's become handy, where it's become easy to, to come to church, to go through the motions, and nobody will ever find out because you're saying the right things and doing the right things. God, I, I repent of that for the times when that's me. Holy Spirit, I pray you come. God, we repent of the times in which you are just another add-on, that you are just another security. We repent of the times that we have not made you our ultimate security. And Jesus, as we repent, we... We turn to belief and we say that Jesus, we are, we are convinced that you are the ultimate security, that you are the greatest, 
that there is nothing this world can provide that is greater than you. And so for maybe for some of us, our, our attitudes are going to have to change before our actions. And maybe for others, our actions are going to change first. We're going to have to be disciplined and, and bring about a change before our hearts are in the right place. But ultimately, Jesus, you long for our hearts to be inclined towards you. I pray, Jesus, that, that for everyone who's online and for everyone in person and for everybody listening to this in the days, months, and years to come, I pray, Jesus, that you would do a deep work in our hearts that would cause us to be not asleep at the wheel, that would cause us to be not headed for disaster, but would allow us to realize that we are in a vulnerable place whenever we lean on our position and our wealth. And for that, we repent and we lean on you, Jesus. In your name, amen.